as long as we play within the parameters of what the IRS has given us, we get all of those tax benefits, meaning we can overfund it up to a certain point. Mm -hmm. So when we build these policies, we're building them so that we're minimizing the costs to create the specific benefits that I've been talking about. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. Welcome back, my Great to Wealth listeners. Today, we have the pleasure to talk to you about such an interesting topic, life insurance. But I yes. trust you. Hang with me. We're going to be, it's going to be an exciting conversation. The guest I have today is president of Money Insights. With, uh, his name is Rod Zabraski. Rod, how are you? I'm doing great. Glad to join you. Yeah, I'm sure you won't let me down, man. We're going to talk. We're going to make life insurance interesting, won't we? Yeah, they'll know more and they'll be more excited about it by the time we're done. There you go, Rod. So, Rod, I know you and I have talked about it a lot. I've talked, I mean, folks who know me, I am the Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman generation where invest in term and yeah. no, no, buy the term and invest the difference, right? Yes. So, we're going to bust that myth. That works for some folks, right? So, we're going to talk sure. about who's, who's that advice for yeah. and more importantly, who is that advice not for? But before we go that, we always start this show with your migration story. How did you get to do what you're doing? Yeah, it's a great question. It started back, as I'm, I'm sure many people who listen to this, with Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So I was yes. in college and I found that book. I read it and I was really impressed with just this idea of living life differently, mm -hmm. building wealth differently than, well, certainly, like you said, the Dave Ramsey kind of model yeah. is very different than the Robert Kiyosaki model. So I kind of caught that vision. And so I've been working towards, ever since then, working toward being a business owner, being investing in real assets that can give us cash flow and or tax advantages, et cetera, working towards this place where I'll have enough passive income to replace mm -hmm. my working income. So I already had that mindset. And then I got working in the insurance world. And so the coming together of those two worlds, basically where I was able to take the kind of expertise that I developed in life insurance specifically and kind of marrying that with the cash flow, moving money in and out of the investments in, in a business, you know, in a lot of different ways, but just basically making it do more for me than I was able to do otherwise, like running it through a savings account or something like, right. you know, like most people do. And how did you get into the insurance industry? Of course, that's not Robert Kiyosaki's teaching, right? <laughs> no, yeah. Uh, good, he doesn't talk question. about that. So how did you get into the insurance industry? Yeah. So let's go back to 2007. Let's do that. <laughs> I actually had an opportunity to buy a furniture business. So that was my first business becoming self, self-employed. Right. And everything was going great until, of course, you know, fall of 2008, yeah. everything had crumbled. All of our customers, I was wholesaling to furniture retailers and they were all done, right? Like, hey, we're not going to be building our storerooms, and, you know, anywhere. Right. We're just going to sell it as, you know, it's ordered. So the kind of good news, bad news about that is it became very clear, okay, I'm, I'm not going to try to stick this thing out. I got to figure out something else. And after trying a couple other things, I ended up deciding to set up a health insurance business, which mm -hmm. I did. And in the course of doing that, in what in oh, that was pre Obamacare to, time, man. That's well, yeah, that's the thing, yeah. exactly. So <laughs> pre Obamacare, I'm doing health insurance, and but then as that all developed, it, it 
became very clear that that world was going to fundamentally change, which it did. Yeah. But I was also in this mode where I was wanting to engage with people at a different level than I was with just this kind of transactional relationship of giving them the health insurance that they need. Mm-hmm. And so I was already kind of in, in expansion mode. So it was really easy to add life insurance, disability insurance, long-term care insurance, these other types of things that are related. I can work with the same people. And as things morphed, I ended up leaving health insurance behind. I no longer do any of that. And again, this focus on not just life insurance as a whole, but using life insurance strategically to enhance Mm -hmm. and make things better for alternative investors. Yeah. And when you were exploring that, Rod, I think we got to address the elephant in the room, right? Because you and I both know, and a lot of our listeners know both Dave Ramsey and Robert Kiyosaki. Sure. Sure. And they both come from two different worlds and they're serving two different audiences. They're different, different purpose. They serve their, their purpose is very different. So when you were going into the insurance industry, of course you had a conflict, right? Because Dave Ramsey is talking about something else and what he, I'm not saying he tells it wrong, but it works for some people. Sure. And of course, rich dad, poor dad, Robert Kiyosaki is talking completely different language. How yes. did you make the two worlds meet? Like where were, yeah, it's a great you, question. Make sense of it. Because that was a conflict from the beginning. Like just from my upbringing, I grew up in Utah, good, you know, Mormon, you know, Latter-day Saint, uh, you know, upbringing, very conservative. And so that kind of that Dave Ramsey message resonates, especially because of his attitude toward debt Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. Right. And then I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I get this vision of what things can be. And so you're right, bringing those two worlds together, it's not a match, right? There's not an easy way yeah. to, to bring those together. You have to pick so, one at that point, right? At some point, yeah. you have to say, I'm going to live in this world, or I'm going to migrate to another world. Exactly. And, and there are, I think there are some principles of what Dave Ramsey teaches that still work really well. Because, I mean, he's talking about, you know, build up an emergency fund, be smart about what you're doing, which right. all of us can agree with, right? Regardless right. of where we are and in what direction we're headed. But then it gets to a certain point where it's, when he starts to talk about how to invest and build up towards retirement and all those kinds of things, the, the worlds diverge in right. opposite directions. And so I would say, but even before I knew or started doing what I'm doing, started working in the insurance world, I'd heard things about cash value, life insurance, whole mm-hmm. life insurance. And it, to be honest, it didn't make any sense to me. Right. Like life insurance is supposed to take care of you know, my family if something happens right. to me and right. I die what's this whole thing about cash value and all this kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So starting from that really simplistic beginning of seeing it for what it is and understanding it to getting to a place where we are now, where we know all of the ins and outs, how to build a policy in the right way to optimize toward the cash value, minimize the costs, and then use it in conjunction with the alternative investing world is, has been a big shift right from right. where I started but it was just kind of piece by piece, just like a lot of things, right? Little bit by bit, right. learning here, learning there, creating some expertise inside of the insurance world to then bring that, all the pieces together. Yeah, so let, let's actually pull this thread for a second because we, you talked about something very important, right? That until you got into this business deep enough for you to understand the business from ground up, you're thinking of life insurance as a debt benefit product, right? That sure, yep. Eventually, Everyone of us is going to pass away, but when we pass away, we want to leave a certain amount. And the thinking always is, how much can I buy my death benefit? How high can I buy my death benefit for the least amount of premium? That's yeah, what you're thinking. Exactly. Right? Yep. Because the thinking, I've contacted some insurance on my end when I, when I was novice in this world about financing, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, 
okay, just tell me I have $10,000. What's the debt benefit? No, no, no. I'm not happy with that debt benefit. Let's talk about $15,000. What can $15,000 buy? What can $20,000 buy? And then I'm like, what can term buy? Completely change the conversation because the focus was predominantly debt benefit. Exactly. But I'm assuming what we were talking about, there's actually a paradigm shift in how you started thinking about insurance and how you're approaching your clients as not only a debt benefit, and debt benefit could be a purpose for that whole life insurance, but there's actually a whole sliver of whole dimension that most agents don't talk about, most strategists don't talk about. So give us your perspective on that. Yeah, it's a great point because it seems like you, at least the perception is you have to either believe in term and then, like you said, in buy term, invest the, the difference in other places, <clears throat> or you have to jump into the bandwagon with the cash value life insurance, whole life insurance, et cetera, and go that route. Well, that's not true. You don't have to choose one or the other you can actually do both. So what we're doing is we're saying, hey, as it relates to life insurance, we're choosing this as a vehicle to enhance the investing that we're doing, not necessarily because we're looking for life insurance per se in that context, but because what we can do with life insurance and the laws and rules around life insurance just allow us to do things a lot better. So for example, I talked earlier about how most people who invest in real estate, in other Mm -hmm. alternative investments in their own business, typically are building up their funds they're going to use for that inside of a savings account or maybe a money market account. And why do they choose that? Because of the safety and liquidity. Right. They are not choosing stock market, other things that are risky because they need the money to be there and ready for them when Mm -hmm. when the opportunities come along, right? Well, inevitably, what we find is people get a little disenchanted with that because they have the safety and liquidity, but it's just not doing anything for them right. while it's waiting for a deal. And so especially at times like now where the deals are harder to find and inflation is going crazy, mm-hmm. that money sitting there is just like driving people nuts. Right. Well, what life insurance and what, again, specifically the way that we design these whole life insurance policies, what we're doing is we're creating a place where you get the same safety and liquidity, but you can generate a long-term 5% plus consistent return that return is tax-free and you access it and use it for for your investing. So you're still doing the same investing as you were going to do anyway, Mm -hmm. but this, what I call the opportunity fund is just much more efficient, creates another level of profitability in addition to what you're able to generate with the alternate investments. So I think what you're basically saying is you got to compare apples to apples, right? So you're, you're saying you can't take the cash value and compare with a real estate deal where the IRR is 18%. Those may not be the right comparison. Is, is that That's is exactly that right. Yeah, because you're not choosing. You're actually doing both. You're putting the money in the policy first, creating this now bucket of money that's there, and it's going to grow and you know create this compound growth, whether you end up using it to go out and invest or not. Because when we actually access it, we're not taking it out of that bucket. We're loaning against it. The insurance right. companies have this ability to take a loan against it. So when I'm, I'll speak personally, I put that money in that bucket, the life insurance policy. When I'm ready to go out and invest, I want to take you know 50 grand to go put into a, a syndication or something. I'm not taking that money out of the bucket. I'm taking a loan from the insurance company of 50,000 using my cash value that's in the bucket as collateral. And I'm using that loaned money to go out and invest in this, in this syndication, yeah. which means that the money in that bucket stays there and it, it continues to grow even while I'm doing that. So I'm creating- right value in multiple places at the same time. 
So I'll actually K through 12 it for our listeners. I know this is a uh, second nature to you. So you said sure. a lot of good things there. So I'm going to actually dump it down, right? So Perfect. I think what, what we want to understand here is that life insurance in general has two aspects to it, a whole life insurance. It has a life death benefit component, mm-hmm. which is important to consider. But what we're saying is put more emphasis into another bucket, which is called cash value. So when you're paying your premium in the life insurance, whatever you're contributing is probably the better way, not just yeah. the premium. When you're contributing to life insurance, a part of that money is going towards cash value, right? Correct. And the other part is going towards covering the cost of the insurance. So the way we are redesigning this whole thing is, and not every agent is created equally in this world, mm-hmm. because you as an agent, I know you as an advisor, I know you get less money if you don't increase the debt benefit, but we're doing a good job. We're making sure our investors' interests are met, right? So that's how we're designing mm-hmm. it right. We want to maximize the cash value. And why are we maximizing the cash value? Because the cash is compounding at more than 5% on an annual basis. You use that money or not. So where can you use that money? Let's talk about those buckets, right? So sure. if I understand correctly, and you tell me if I did, your first of all, the concept is your cash value life insurance is essentially like a home equity line of credit, right? Thanks your for house is going yeah. to appreciate in value no matter how much home equity line of credit or other loans you have. It's going to continue mm-hmm. appreciating, right? Which is really what we're saying in cash value insurance is if you have 100K sitting in your cash value in a whole life insurance, you can take a portion of that loan while your uh, as a loan while your cash value is still compounding at 5% or more. Correct. Right. So I think that's one important concept. Now, why would mm-hmm. you use that? What you're saying is instead of creating an emergency fund and putting it in the bank, and of course, for the last few weeks, we've seen what happens to the banks, what could happen to yeah, the bank. Right, that's a right. completely different story, right? Here, your money is with an institution that is heavily regulated and they're mm-hmm. not leveraging that money out in a way that the banks are, right? The banks are fractional banking system. Their leverage is 10 to one, which is not the way the insurance companies are because a lot of the insurance companies are providing death benefits and Mm -hmm. uh, they want to make sure there's enough liquidity for that, right? So part of that is what we're saying is the cash value is more important because you can dip into the cash value to go buy a different asset, which can then give you 18, 19, 20% IRRs. And there's some investments we were talking off here. You'd have to an IRR of up to 25%, 26%, if you can pair it correctly. And then you pay off that loan that you took cash values on and buying a cash flow asset actually helps you pay that off, right? And then right. you can redip again once you pay that off. But while right. your money is still compounding. Did I characterize it correctly, Rod, or did I miss Absolutely. Something? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And maybe circling back to your original question, well, so why... Is there this big difference between term and whole life yeah. and these kind of cash value products? So the way that we approach it is we say, hey, for those dollars that you're putting into your investments, let's direct those into the policy first, optimized to grow the cash value. And that does yeah. create some insurance. That's insurance you don't have to pay for any other way. It may or may not create enough insurance for you to feel comfortable for your family or for business partners or other people who get left behind if something happens to you. So you have, I'll speak for myself, I have whole life policies and I have term policies. Right. So I can take care of both. I'm optimizing both. Correct. And I think that we're basically saying it's not an either or. Correct. There's actually an and available there. And what to kind of make maybe take one level up from what Dave Ramsey or Susie Orms of the world are saying, mm-hmm. you're still investing the difference, but you are introducing a cash policy cash value life policy in between 
because you're, you're leveraging that you're making your money go even further yeah introducing a cash value yeah and the other thing i would say to that as well is that the kind of whole life insurance policy that they're talking about is very different than the kind of policies that we're creating because so what are they talking about give a little bit more context than that yeah so a vanilla whole life policy it will build cash value and it will maybe in the long run you might end up with maybe a 2 or 3% irr but it yeah. takes a long time for that money to start building cash value it might be in year 2 or 3 before you start see any cash value being built mm-hmm. in a just a plain vanilla type of whole life policy when the ones that we're building we're overfunding the policy dramatically right so yeah. in other words we set up kind of this core life insurance policy but then we have the ability to put extra money into it and you say well why would you do that right, right. Well, because we want to capture these benefits we want to put it in a place where it can still be accessible and still be safe but be growing at, at this compounding rate you know like i said five percent but also tax-free that's the right. tax benefit that comes with it and as long as we play within the kind of the parameters of what the IRS has given us, we get all of those tax benefits, meaning we can overfund it up to a certain point. Mm-hmm. So when we build these policies, we're building them so that we're minimizing the costs on, on the kind of that pure cost side, overfunding it up to the max limits that we can right. to create those the specific benefits that I've been talking about. So, you know, what one, and thank you for sharing that, Rod. So, you know, one context, I just met a friend of mine yesterday for coffee and we were talking mm-hmm. about this concept. He's like, don't talk to me about whole life, right? I just had a life insurance policy for 18 years. I After that, I just stopped paying my premium. I had to surrender all my cash or whatever it was. I oh. can't even remember the call. I lost them within 18 years. That 18 years, your cash value didn't grow that much. So that essentially means it was structured incorrectly, right? Gotcha. So, yeah. so help us understand that when because when people are saying that, you know, Dave Ramsey, we'll just use him as mm-hmm. an example. And he's mm-hmm. not the only one saying it that a whole life insurance is more beneficial for the agent who is, and I hate that word, but mm-hmm. agent who is actually selling sure. you that versus for you yourself. So what's our come back to that, Rod? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and I also will clarify with this that there are different types of life insurance policies. Whole life is, it's kind of like the granddaddy of them, been around a yeah. long time has a lot of guarantees associated with it. So when I talked about it creating this, you know, five plus percent return, well, how does that happen? They have a guaranteed interest rate associated with it, but then they also pay a dividend. The insurance company will pay a dividend. And that's what creates that growth for us. For someone like like your friend, if it's truly a whole life policy, even if it's not designed that we do it, but you were paying your premiums for 18 years, you would have more in your cash value than what you had put in. Mm. Okay, because again, with those guarantees and with just the way the, the dividends work, et cetera, it would do that. So, but again, there are other life, types of life insurance. There's universal life, there's index right. universal life, variable universe. So, when you start to get into some of these other types of insurance, still cash value life insurance still has some of the same characteristics I talked about. But when you talk about how the cash value is set to grow in those cases, then it depends. It depends a lot on how it's designed, but also a lot on what happened with the market or with the growth factors inside of it. So it is a matter of, you know, finding someone that, you know, you can trust to build it correctly and do it in a way that that is optimized toward what you want. Because, again, if it is just death benefit that you want, 
we would approach that very differently than we do for someone who is saying, hey, I want to use it as this kind of opportunity fund for my investing. Yeah, I think that that makes sense, Rod. So Rod, what if, and we touched about it, what should people watch out for? So let's just say they want it beyond the debt benefit, because what we talked Mm -hmm. about is the right way to look at this is get your debt benefit from the term. It's probably going to be the cheapest option, um, but use the whole life insurance in parallel to uh, as a product along with your term. Yeah. Make sure you can maximize your cash value as well, right? So when when someone's structuring it, what are some of the key things they're looking for, and how do they vet the insurance agent or insurance strategy sure. they're working with? What are some of the? Key it's a great things? question, and I would say it's kind of like picking an attorney, right? So I know I need an attorney. Well, it depends on what I need them for, right? That helps me decide who I'm going to work with. So if I need a, a an estate plan put in place, then it won't do to just go to any attorney and ask them to put that together for me. Right. I might find an attorney who will say, yeah, I can do that for you, but they may or may not have the expertise right. behind that, right? It's, maybe it's like a you know family law attorney that says, hey, yeah, I can do that, um, but I won't get the same result as I would if I went to someone who is has the expertise in the specific things that I'm looking for with my estate plan. So kind of drawing that parallel now over, uh, could you go to a, a life insurance agent down the street and walk in the door and say, hey, mm-hmm. will you build me a whole life policy? And they would say yes. I'm sure they will. And, you would, and if you described it exactly the same way as I've been describing it here, they will build you something, but it won't likely be optimized the way I'm talking about. Because just because someone deals in life insurance doesn't mean they know all of the things that they need to know to right. build it in the right way. So back to your question, how, how would you find someone? Uh, it, it needs to be someone who has that expertise. So when you talk with them, they can speak your language and you say, hey, I invest in real estate. I invest in, I have a business. I want something that is optimized toward building that. And so for example, when we're having that conversation with someone and the question comes, okay, well, how much do we need to put in place? It's not a matter of saying, how much insurance do you want? It's a matter of saying, how much do you want to be putting in the plan? In other words, Correct. the ideal scenario for me is I want to get all the money that I'm going to be putting into my future investments into my policy first. Mm-hmm. That's how I decide how big of a policy I need because I just reversed the formula that I talked about earlier, take the money going in, say, how much insurance do I need to support that without paying any more costs than I have to? And we build it that way. So. Again, these are hopefully you're getting kind of a feel for the, the way those conversations go because is it life insurance? Yes. Does that does life insurance matter? Yes. But it's the conversation about the death benefit, not necessarily, not, not, not as a primary driver. I mean, it could be for some, but I think what we're saying and, is the product you're offering, that's not the main driver. Right. And the design of it is all about optimizing the, the growth of the cash value to be using in these ways we're talking about. I think Rod, Rod, that's actually makes sense, right? So Rod, how, what's the best way to tell if somebody's interest in is not aligned? You know, because there are lots of agents, like I'm um, not down my yeah. street where I live, there's a state farm insurance uh, sure. retail place, right? And of course, yeah. online, there's so many, right? So how do you, of course, you are one of the sources, that's why I brought you on, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you've been doing it for a while and you've been in the circles that I surround myself in. So you're definitely yeah. one of those guys, but let's say if somebody wants to say, Hey, I want to try and try different options as well and get a little bit more understanding than just what Rod and Saka are talking about, where would they mm-hmm. 
What would, yeah. be, what would be their first step on Google? What are they looking for? <laughs> yeah, okay. So what there's um, kind of a community out there of infinite banking that may be a term that people are familiar with. Mm-hmm. We do differentiate ourselves a little bit from them, but that would be at least a place to start because for infinite banking practitioners who do who do it right, they're going to build the policy the way I described, where right. it's minimizing costs and maximizing the cash value. The only reason I say that we differentiate ourselves is because we are hyper-focused on using these policies to go out and invest. Whereas the typical right. infinite banker, they're going to talk about all kinds of different ways and reasons why you might want to use your cash value to buy cars and go on vacations right. and do all these other things, right. which right. again, works, right? You can take loans and use it for whatever you want because you have that cash sitting in that bucket acting as collateral. The insurance company doesn't care what you're using the money for. They're not even going to ask you. But again, our focus is on saying, hey, let's use it to create value. Kind of going back to the Robert Kiyosaki model, how do I know it's an asset if it creates cash flow for right. me? Right. Right. So we want to be using this as an asset and as an extra like asset builder towards, again, creating that extra level of profitability above and beyond the, what my actual investments are doing for me. Yeah. I love that. So Rod, in terms of, you also mentioned something that this is very tax efficient, right? So let's talk about two stages in life. So let's say somebody is 30 years old and they want to build their cash value, grow their cash value, and they're, let's say, 60. We'll make an arbitrary age. That, sure. that number may vary personally. And then between 60 and, let's say, 100, they want to mm-hmm. use that money now. How do they dip into the cash value insurance, cash value life insurance, beyond yeah. 60 and make that distribution tax-free? How does that work? Yeah, it's a great question. And I call that phase two. So phase one is I'm putting the money in, I'm using it to go out yeah. and do my investing. But then eventually I'm going to get to a place where I'm slowing down on my investments. I'm going to be living off the cash value that's coming off of those investments. And now I've built this asset inside the policy in addition to all the cool stuff I'm mm. doing with real estate or with my business or whatever. So at that point in time, I can tap into it. It's an asset. There's cash value there and I can use that. And what we'll do is we'll basically build it, we'll put it this way. I can access the, the cash value through a loan, right? Mm-hmm. We already talked about doing that in, in the investing side. Well, I can do the same thing now with my, we'll call it retirement cash flow, right? And when I do that, I'm basically tapping into it through a loan, but I'm not planning to pay it back now. When I was investing with it, mm. I was creating cash flow. I take that cash flow and right. I flow that back in to pay down the loan. Now I'm using it. I'm spending it. I'm not wanting to flow. the, And that's okay. Again, because I now I have that cash value that's acting as collateral against that loan. It will continue to grow. Now I have a loan. The interest will accrue, but that's okay because the accrual of the interest on my loan is being offset by the growth of what's right. happening in my cash value. Right. And then eventually what's going to happen is when I pass away, there'll be this outstanding loan, but that's going to be paid off by my death benefit. Mm-hmm. Death benefit just by nature of what it is and the way that the laws are written is income tax free. Right. So I have this enormous you know, lump sum of income tax free death benefit that's paid out. That's what's being used to pay off that loan that I've built up. And because of that, I've just been able to get all of that money back out tax free. I love that. Right. So the, I, let, me, let me just see if I can simplify that for a second. Sure. So again, dumbing down is very important. Uh, yeah, so when we're looking at this, right? So why is the first phase important? Because I think what the insight there is, the more time and the more money is sitting in the market compounding, 
the better your base for the phase two is. Sure. And the reason for that, why it needs to be a big amount is because you want your living expenses to be lower, ideally, than the interest, than the returns being generated in your cash value, which is about 5%, right? Five, sure. 5% plus. So that's mm-hmm. really, if you put the money now, if you were in a phase two tomorrow and you put the money now, you need to put a big amount because you mm-hmm. want to make sure that the interest in that is, is higher. But that's not the reason to do that. What we're saying is the more you can create, give the time for phase one, the more amount you'll have, the foundational amount you have in your phase two. So your starting principle is higher. So the returns that you're making on that is going to be much higher than the loan amount that you're taking. And which essentially means you will never have to repay the interest on the loan. You're choosing not to pay the re- repay the loan as well. That's okay. But you're not mm-hmm. doing that. That's really why phase one, the earlier you start, is very important. But let me ask the question, what if I'm 50? Does it sure. still make sense, this policy? Yeah, it's a great question. And the answer to that really depends on your timeline. So if you're 50, but you're saying, hey, Rod, I'm going to be essentially retired by the time I'm 53. I'm not going to be you know, continuing to invest and do all these other things. That's probably not going to work. Mm. But if you're saying I'm 50, I'm going to be doing this investing for the next another at least 10 years or, or whatever, right. or even five years, then yes, it could absolutely work. So it isn't as much about age as it is about the timeline because we have people getting into these policies even in their 60s because their time horizon is out there and it makes sense. Right. Well, Rob, I can talk about infinite banking for a long time. I know with you guys, you guys are so great at it. But I want to respect for your time. I know we have a hard stop in the next five minutes here. So why don't we switch to the second part of our show, which is really about two things. One is you've done quite a lot of different things in your life, right? You've, of course, life is not fair to anybody and neither it should be. If you were to go back to your 20-year-old self, right, the world you, era that you uh, grew up was a Dave Ramsey era, and it still is mm-hmm. for some people, And then, of course, you got exposed to a lot of different things in life. If you were to go back in time and you were going to tell your 20-year-old self some insights that will make their migration in life much more productive, what would that be? Mm -hmm. I think the thing that I've learned that would would have been most valuable for me, and quite frankly, the the stuff that I'm trying to teach my kids, Mm -hmm. because they're now at that age, is the variety of ways that you can invest. So... My idea of investing in real estate was exclusively in buying a piece of property and renting it out and becoming a property manager. And that was just such a daunting idea for me. I loved the principles of Rich Dad Poor Dad. And I had this kind of vision in my head that I would, you know, buy a duplex, live in half of it, rent the other part out, et cetera. And that didn't materialize for a variety of reasons. But if I knew, then what I know now, I would have looked beyond those kinds of things to do that, right? right? And I realized that some of the things that in real estate syndications and other things, sometimes you have to be an accredited investor. And I certainly wasn't at age 20, but there are a lot of ways that you can do it without having to be accredited. You can, right? Yeah. Wholesaling and even syndication investing. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of you know syndicators out there who will put together deals that can include non-accredited investors. Right. But then again, a lot of these other things, house hacking and And there are a lot of different ways to do it so that you can take advantage of the benefits, not just the cash flow, but the tax benefits Mm -hmm. and all the other things without having to become a landlord. Correct. Or without having to do W-2. Exactly. And and, and trading time for money, right? So it's more for both. You're basically saying, look at investment as 
a way, a ticket out instead of investment yeah. as something so daunting that you don't know where to start. It's just exactly. like how you asked that problem. The last yeah. question, my friend, is um, what's lacking in the humanity right now from your perspective, right? When you look at, you talk to a lot of folks, right? In your business, mm-hmm. you talk to a lot of folks who have their fears, their concerns, their assumptions, but it's really mm-hmm. something else is bothering them. Money is just a symptom. It's not really the cause. So when you're looking at, if you were to reflect back on that and the yeah. humanity as a whole, where should that be migrating towards? It's a great question. I mean, I think as a whole, I'm amazed that society can exist the way it is and we get along as well as we do. Right. And what I mean is, I think by and large, people's hearts are good. They want to do good. And then, but it just comes down to kind of, like you said, some of those fears. I think a lot of times when we aren't kind, when we don't kind of show that human side of us, it's because of fears, because of misunderstandings. So I'm careful when I talk about this kind of stuff, because I don't want to feel like I'm, you know, the the woke kind of thing. But I do feel like if we can see each other as people and treat each other as people instead of as objects or as potential reasons to be fearful. Sure. And I can just make a huge difference in just the way that we interact. And when that makes a difference in the way we interact, then it makes a big difference in the society as a whole, the kind of, you know, example that we can show to society of how we can, we can get along, we can be different, which is good, which is valuable and contribute in different ways and all build together and, but do it in a way that, that is where there's kindness, where there's that kind of underlying human love that kind of drives what we do. And I love this question, man. I, I really get to see the human side of everyone, right? This, like, I, I love to ask that question from people. Like, and I know you're not just saying, you actually run your whole practice like that. Right? I try so, to, yeah. And I won't, you know, pretend that I don't have my own fears, my own things, you know, where I don't, you know, I don't always treat people the way I'm describing, but yeah, that's, that's uh, at great, least if man. we're all striving towards something like that, then I think right. we can, you know, it could be a better place. Well, if you, if you aim for that, maybe if you miss 1%, that's still okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, right? Because yeah. you're going to keep, everyone's got a life, life's continuous change and improvement. So that's going to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Rod, on that note, we're coming to a time here. Where can our friends, my audience, find you? If they want to yeah. learn more about you, your offering, they want to talk to you about infinity banking, where can they uh, reach out? Yeah, great question. So uh, like we talked about, your company is called Money Insights. Our URL is moneyinsightsgroup.com. So if you go to the moneyinsightsgroup.com, You'll see a lot of content. Go to our the resources in our education center where you can see a lot of... We try to be very educational about what we do because it's not intuitive, yeah. right? People don't just wake up and say, hey, I know exactly what's going on with life insurance and that what these guys are talking about. So if you can go there, we have webinars, we have white papers, we have what we call our investor quiz. If you take that, then we'll have, you know, you'll get some curated content that's more specific to you and the way you're investing and what you want to be investing in. So that's what I would suggest is, is go to that website, take the quiz, check out the education center. Like I said earlier, we, it's not that we don't like the term infinite banking. We just like to differentiate ourselves. So look for the investment optimizer. That's the kind of the strategy that we've been describing today. Awesome, Rod. And I, I want to acknowledge you, your time, your effort. I also want to say that I'm going to be bringing Rod a lot more and his team because I really believe this product has a lot of legs, a lot of room to be one more quiver, right? Kind of like make sure that one more tool in your toolbox 
to use yeah. against creating your generational wealth to creating financial freedom and multiply your money even faster more on that rod thank you again for your time brother i appreciate you. it and i'm going to see you soon awesome if you got value from this episode you might consider sharing this content with a friend but most importantly be sure to take action on what you've learned one way you can take the next step is to connect directly with socket on an investor call that link is waiting for you in the show notes below the content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.